Good morning, good afternoon, good night, uh, good whatever time this is that you're uh, that you're watching this. We're just grateful that you are still finding ways to to participate in worship at Wood, Woodbury, uh, finding ways to glorify God, to to grow as a disciple. Uh, and so I hope that you have a, a good cup of coffee, a can of Coke, whatever it is that you need to to get you through this. Uh, we're continuing our series on questions, and uh, whether you like it or not, you're getting a two-week break from Patrick. So you're stuck with me this week, you're stuck with Steve next week. So this could be a little bit different. And uh, I know that we don't necessarily know each other all that well. Uh, we haven't had a ton of FaceTime since Taylor and I moved up here. So there's something I just need to share with you. I just need to put it out there. And uh, unfortunately, I am just really fascinated by celebrities. And I say unfortunately because I've wasted a lot of money because of this. Uh, one of my personality traits is that I'll find a celebrity that I like, and if they are doing some sort of lifestyle thing, you know, diet, exercise routine, whatever it is, I am compelled to try it. Uh, back in college, uh, Woody Harrelson, one of my favorite actors, I found out he was vegan. And so I decided, well, if Woody's a vegan, I'm going to give veganism a shot. And uh, I didn't do any research, uh, error number one. And I bought about $40, $40 worth of kale. Uh, that was it, nothing else, just kale. And I made it like two days, and uh, I wasted that money. That kale rotted in my fridge. I hate vegetables anyways. Don't know why I thought it was a good idea, but Woody was doing it, so I had to try it. Uh, another time later, I tried a carnivore diet, uh, which is exactly what it sounds like, meat only, the extreme opposite, because another celebrity was doing it. And I know that you're probably sitting at home rolling your eyes and just, you know, look at this guy. And while I may be extreme in this case, I know that I am not alone when it comes to getting incredibly excited when we have an actual real-life encounter with a celebrity or another famous influential person. When Taylor and I got married, we were at the Little Rock Airport getting to go on our honeymoon. And we're getting about to board this tiny plane to Houston where to catch our next flight. And we're sitting in the terminal waiting to board. And there's this kind of murmuring that just starts happening. And we look as they call first class seating. And there is Chicago Bulls legend, Scottie Pippen. Now being a huge basketball fan myself, I'm just giddy. You know, I'm telling Taylor like, that's Scottie Pippen. Do you know who he is? Do you know what he did? This is him, this is that, this is this. And so as we're boarding the plane, uh, I wanted to, to like kind of get his attention. I wasn't gonna ask him for an autograph or a picture because you know, he's a human being and he needs his space, but I was determined to at least make eye contact with him. So as we're boarding this plane, you, know, you, you kind of do that normal thing, shuffling, shuffling, looking down, You're not looking at anyone. But I board this plane and I see Scotty and I just kind of looking at him like, you know, and just wanting him to look me in the eyes. And he looks me in the eyes, and he gives me just the slightest head nod, you know, just a little. And I was giddy, you know, I was like, I sat down, I was like, I got a head nod from Scotty Pippen. This is the best start to a honeymoon. This is going to be the best honeymoon ever. Uh, you know, to this day, when people say, well, we had the best honeymoon, I, I ask them, you know, did you get a head nod from Scotty Pippen? And when they say no, I say, that's proof that you did it. Uh, so we get back. I'm with some friends. I'm, I'm excited to share this encounter. And so I retell them that whole story. And instead of them basking in the awesomeness of my encounter, I noticed that they started countering my story with some of their own stories. And this conversation we were having morphed into this, this battle on who had the coolest 
celebrity, uh, you know, celebrity encounter or famous person interaction. Uh, and the whole thing was this battle for basically who was cooler. Um, and we've all done this. This isn't limited to just celebrity encounters. We've all been in a situation where we've tried to, to one-up another person, whether it's vacation or dinner or whatever. It's, you know, in my opinion, it's, it's the, the entire premise of, of social media nowadays. Um, but it's this human tendency we have to do, to, to want this recognition, to, to be above others. Uh, and as we continue this series on questions, Jesus had this simple little question that challenges this tendency that uh, we as human beings tend to have. So in Mark chapter 9, verses 33 through 37, we read that they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, if any wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child and had him stand among them. Taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Uh, so this is, a, this is kind of an idea, you know, the who, must be, who wants to be first must be last. That if, we've, if you've been in church for any amount of time, you've probably heard this. Uh, but what exactly is happening here? And for us to truly understand this, we need to go back to the beginning of Mark 9. So if you back up. You'll read that three of the disciples, the big three, Peter, James, and John, they went with Jesus up on the mountainside. They witnessed the transfiguration. They see Christ in this fullness of his glory. And not only that, but they're seeing Moses and they're seeing Elijah. And so as good Jews, these are the heroes of their Israelite faith. You know, Moses, the ultimate lawgiver, Elijah, the ultimate prophet. And they're just witnessing this incredible miracle. And then they descend the mountain. They join the rest of the other disciples in town. And Jesus heals this boy who's possessed by an evil spirit. But the reason that Jesus is healing this boy is because the other nine disciples were unable to cast out this demon. And so if you want to talk about this comparing and contrasting, you have these three disciples who witness this incredible thing. And you have these other guys who... You know, even though Jesus gave them the authority to cast out demons in Mark 6, they're unable to. Um, and so that's going on. You have these high, you have this low, and then Jesus moves on and he predicts his death for the second time. Uh, and it's, it seems odd placement to us, but Mark kind of knew what he was doing. And so as you read that, you read that the, the disciples didn't understand what Jesus was talking about. Uh, they didn't want to ask him, you know, kind of the second time came and gone. You know, they're a little too far in to really ask for clarification. Uh, and so their mind begins to wonder. And that brings us to, to our core text, to verse 33, where Mark is telling us that the, the disciples have been arguing. They've been discussing uh, this idea of who's the greatest on the road to Capernaum. And we don't know the exact comments they're making. Uh, we, you know, we don't... Uh, we don't know what words or who, what's their actual case they're making, but we do know that they are arguing about prominence. They're arguing about stature. Uh, you already have a few disciples who are especially close to Jesus who've witnessed this incredible miracle. You have these other nine who weren't able to cast out demons. And just human nature, we're going to discuss these things. Um, they're going to discuss what they witness on the mountain. They're going to discuss what they witness or fail to witness in the town. Um, and they're going to they're going to battle. They're going to jostle for who had the best story, who had the best encounter. 
They're simply arguing about who is going to be the greatest. And we don't know if they came to a conclusion at the discussion. We don't know if they decided that, uh, if the 12 decided that Peter was the greatest of them all, uh, because when the other two were awestrucken, uh, Peter at least offered to build Elijah and Moses' tents. Uh, we just don't know. However, we do know that Jesus challenged their, their perception of, of rank, their perception of, uh, of how the world works with just one simple question. What were you arguing about on the road? And it's questions just followed by this, this sheer silence. Uh, it, it says the disciples, they were just, they kept quiet because they'd been caught uh, or that Jesus had real, actually been aware that they were arguing about who was the greatest. And they're just, they don't know what to say. And I think given that response, we can pretty well tell that maybe, just maybe, the disciples were kind of missing the mark of this who's the greatest thing, this, this line of thinking. And it's here that Jesus states that if anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. So Jesus, he's redefining this paradigm and how we view the world. And he's saying, hey, the things that humans value for importance or for rank aren't necessarily the same values that are important in the kingdom of God. So you have this example on Mark 9 where Jesus, he's walking towards a sacrificial death in this humble servant king type of way. And the disciples are following behind him, trying to figure out what the pecking order is among the group. So this simple question of, of what you're arguing about, Jesus is dismantling their whole, their whole per perception of servitude and uh, of, of dynamics. And to further this, uh, Jesus calls his child forward. He places him on his lap and he says, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Uh, now, here's where I want you to pause. And if you have little kids, I just want you to take a chance and take a moment to look at them. If you don't have kids, we've seen little kids. So just kind of picture one in your mind for a second. And our temptation is to, to, to think of these, uh, these little kids as these precious, these innocent, these lo lovely little, uh, little humans. And while that is true to a degree, you know, where precious moments define generation. My Nana sent me those every year. Uh, well, that's true to a degree. Uh, that's not exactly what Jesus is, is talking about here. Um, in first century Israel, in this time, uh, children weren't, you know, they weren't hated by any means, but they weren't viewed as especially favorable. Uh, they were uh, totally dependent on parents. They were needy. They could be troublemakers. Uh, they had no power. They had no status. I mean, they were totally dependent on their family, on their community. Um, and so Jesus, when he's, by bringing this child up, he, he's contrasting our power influence model uh, of servanthood with the kingdom based. Uh, to be a disciple of Jesus is it, to, to humbly serve those who can't even serve themselves. It's not to focus on those who will give us power or influence or rank. Um, it's to focus on those who can't. And it's not only good to serve those regarded as insignificant, but when we do so, we are receiving Jesus and the one who sent him. Uh, by doing so, by helping those who are needy like little children, we are helping play a role in ushering the kingdom of God. So Jesus tells us, he uses this teaching time, and you would think that after this, the disciples would start to understand this calendar cultural way of living and what that looks like. Uh, but just a few, few verses later, uh, the disciples are still stuck on this idea of power and this idea of control and influence. Uh, and they, they're telling Jesus, hey Jesus, we saw this guy uh, he was casting out demons in your name. 
And they basically tell Jesus, but because he wasn't one of us, wasn't one of your disciples, we told him to stop. Uh, and it's here that I like to think that Jesus would just kind of like roll his eyes and just kind of like, guys, like, we're, we're still stuck on this. Like, this is Mark chapter 9. We've only got a couple chapters to go in the book. You know, this big lesson that the disciples are still uh, stuck on. And so Jesus launches into this next monologue where he's talking about if you lead any of the little ones, you know, this hyperbole understanding for those who, who couldn't help themselves away from him, it would be better to be dead. Um, so what does this mean for us as uh, 21st century uh, Minnesotans uh, living in the United States, so disconnected from this world? Um, Mark seems to indicate to us that the disciples had this strong desire to be special, uh, not only as groups, but also individually. So, of course, within the 12, they were trying to define what the pecking order is, who among them was the greatest. But even if you were the lotus on that totem pole, they had this collective effort to make sure that their group, the 12 of them, had this special exclusivity to them, this specialness um, as Jesus' direct followers. They wanted to preserve their position. They wanted to maintain their status. And the sad reality is that for, for many churches across the country, this is a sad reality of our churches today. Uh, and this, this perspective, it can lead Christians, it can lead churches to, to reacting and leading out of pettiness or out of emotional reactivity or out of our own self-driven interests. Yet Jesus, he's re redefining for both the disciples and for us what it means to be great and to be a follower. Uh, disciples, what we are trying to be here at Woodbury Church of Christ is we are trying to, to be loving people with a humble spirit, uh, and willing to live in this countercultural way that Jesus is, that is providing, that Jesus is showing. Um, and, and essentially, what that comes down to in one aspect is we have to learn to see the world and how God actually ranks things. Uh, while the human tendency is to look at power or wealth or influence or whatever adjective or noun you want to insert in there, God is looking at our self-giving service. Real greatness means caring about people, and not just the important people, but to simply care about people such as the unimportant, needy, dependent child. Um, that's not to say they aren't important, but uh, yet here in 2020, we see conflict and division between churches and within churches. Uh, I'm relatively young, pretty young, 23, and even in my short time as, as a Christian, I've seen a, a multitude of church splits or near church splits. Uh, and that is a sad reality of the state of the church today. Uh, and because of that, we are, I believe that we are missing the mark. And we have to humbly realize that the way that we might think it is best to go about things, our own self-driven purposes, are missing the mark. God's mission is bigger than any individual mission that we might have. So the question I want to put before us is that if Jesus was standing here beside me, if he was spending time in our homes, in our circles, uh, would, would he chastise us for being motivated by these self-driven purposes? Would he ask us, what are you arguing about and why are you doing that? Would we be missing the mark? Would you pray with me? Father God, you are a good God, and we are thankful to, to be your followers, thankful to be your uh, disciples, and we pray that you continually uh, reshape our hearts, that you continually uh, help us grow to be more like you, to be pursuers of your kingdom, 
um, and not to be to be driven by our, our self-motivating purposes, but um, to take the time to reflect on what it means to be a follower to serve you. Pray that you bless us this week, that you sustain us, and that you challenge us. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.